0: The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. I'm going to be reading from Numbers 22, verses 1 through 12. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people, because they were, they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt." they cover the face of the earth and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land for I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you, as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. This is God's word.
1: Amen. Well, we are going to be in Numbers 22 through 24 this morning. Um, So go ahead and turn there in a Bible if you've got one. If you don't, use one of those maybe Black Pew Bibles in front of you. It's going to be found on page 130. And um, there's going to be time since we're covering so much this morning, you're going to need a copy in front of you yourself. We can't get it all on the slides. That would have taken me the rest of the week. Uh, Hey, one of the great inventions of the late 90s that really grew into popularity in the early 2000s was the DVD player. You remember these? Remember when this first came out and you, you never had to rewind a tape again? It was amazing, right? One of my favorite features of DVDs, though, were the the extras um, at the at the end. Like, you know, you put the disc in and it would pop up like a menu, and you had to select from the menu, and one of the menu options was the extras. And my favorite of the extras was the behind the scenes extra. You remember behind the scenes? Action films were the best. You could see how they did some of the stunts, maybe uh, how they shot something. Once in a while, you get to meet the director and kind of hear his perspective and, and maybe an interview with him, how he envisioned everything, and you got to see it all from his point of view. You got to see what was going on behind the scenes, right? Well, Numbers 22 through 24 is like that. Uh, it's a look behind the scenes at the book of Numbers that we've been spending this, this season of our church life in. And when we look behind the scenes in these chapters, we see nothing less than the sovereign hand of God at work. The one true God who is on Israel's side leading them to the promised land just like he promised. Protecting them all the way there just like he promised. Preserving them. Why? because they are his blessed people. I will make you a great nation, God said in Genesis 12, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, or through you, all the families of the earth Shall be blessed. I know it's a long chunk of God's word that we're taking up this morning, but it's all one chunk. And there's one main point that God's blessed people cannot be cursed. God's blessed people cannot be cursed. And that's relevant to us. That has application to us today as Christians because over in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, We've been blessed. You and me as Christians, we've been blessed. That every Christian has been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're blessed. If you're not yet a Christian, you can be blessed. And here's the good news. God's blessed people cannot be cursed. That's meant to encourage you, Christian. That this morning is meant to encourage you because behind the scenes, like even out of your and away from your sight, even while you are in the midst of your wilderness, God is on your side. He's leading you to the promised land of heaven. Why? <laughs> because you're a part of his blessed people now. And he is protecting you and he is preserving you. And he is leading and guiding you. And the blessing you possess from being united with Christ cannot and will not ever be removed. God's blessed people cannot be cursed. Now, there's four main characters in Numbers 22 through 24, and the first thing I want to do is just meet them, all right? Uh, Make sure we keep them straight. The first two have names that are very similar to each other, so you got to enunciate at the end, right? you got Balak, ends with a K, think king, Balak, and then you got Balaam, ends with an M. Think something else other than king, all right? But first is Balak, king of Moab, son of Zippor. And verse 3 tells us a very important detail. It tells us that Balak and all of Moab, what he was king over, were scared. Right? They were shaken in their boots. More specifically, we're told that Balak and Moab were afraid of the Israelites. They had seen all that they had done to the Amorites. In fact, there was a song that the Israelites were singing at the end of chapter 21, if you were here last week. They had this song that celebrated how the Amorites had defeated the Moabites. Israel sang this song about the Amorites defeating the Moabites, and now how they, as Israel, had defeated the Amorites, and therefore, the Moabites got nothing on them. Their God, Chemosh, was nothing compared to the God of Yahweh. And Balak, king of Moab, he heard all this. He saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Perhaps even the lyrics of this song made their way back to him, and he hears them, and he's afraid, and so he does two things. First, he strikes up an alliance with the Midianites. He's trying to shore up his weaknesses in verse 4, but then he sends for Balaam, our second character. Now, Balaam is a complicated character in the Bible, Uh, We're told here that he's the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of Amor. That's a whole bunch of strange names and places. But what we're we're supposed to understand is that he is from a long way off. He's not from around here. Um, Pethor was in northern Syria near the river Euphrates, about 400 miles north of Moab. This is Balak here calling in the big guns. Balaam was a professional seer. A prophet for hire who was well known, had a reputation for traveling around and cursing the, the military enemies of, of people for money. He's like a prophetic mercenary carrying spiritual weapons with, of, of words of cursing, pronouncing curses on the enemies of others to get paid. It was a curse from the gods that he was trying to do that was intended to decisively tip the balance of power against one's enemies. That's who... Balak is hiring. Now I said Balaam's a complicated character and he is. He, he's the a, a character who in a good movie or like a TV show that you watch when you introduce him and you're like, I is this like is this like a good guy or a bad guy? And you're not quite sure. It's like Batman. You know, you're not, you don't, we don't know for sure. That's that's Balaam. And if we just read through these chapters in the book of Numbers, we're not completely sure which side he's on. I mean, multiple times we're gonna see he says things like. All I can say is what God tells me to say. That sounds pretty good, you know? Um, But there's also some other clues in there that he's not so good. In fact, the rest of Scripture clearly testifies to him not being good. Joshua tells us that he practiced divination. Peter in the New Testament says that Balaam loved gain from wrongdoing. He loved the reward of unrighteousness or wickedness. He liked to get paid for it. Jesus himself in Revelation 2 talks some trash against Balaam, but we're going to save that for next week. What I want you to get, though, is that Balaam, is, he's not the good guy. He's not the hero of this story. For the hero of the story, we need to meet the third character, who's God, the sovereign one. A lot of time gets spent looking at Balak the king and Balaam the prophet here in the text, but really God is the main character of this story. He's the one who truly has the power and will ensure Israel's ultimate destiny. And I want to encourage you to keep that in mind as we work through the text here today. The last character, then, is God's people, Israel, who actually have no active role in these three chapters whatsoever. We see them in verse one, camped at the plains of Moab, where they're going to remain for the rest of the book of of Numbers, all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, all the way through the first three chapters of Joshua until they finally cross the Jordan River and enter into the promised land. But Israel really has no idea what's going on between Balak and Balaam here. They're oblivious to the intense struggle and Balak's desire to curse them. Now, eventually they found out. Um, The fact that it's recorded here in Scripture tells us at some point they learned of all this perhaps through Balaam himself, what result do you think that would have had for the people of God? It would have been an immense encouragement to the people of God to learn that behind the scenes, the sovereign hand of God was at work for their good. They didn't even know about it. The story told and retold through the generations of the Israelites was to have that effect. Listen, we're at the climax, really, of the book of Numbers. The old generation is going to finish dying off next week. But God is at work behind the scenes, leading, protecting, preserving the people of God. It's a story of encouragement. It's to be a story of encouragement to us today as well. Now, some of you grew up in church right? And you're like, pretty sure there's another character in the story. What's his name? Oh yeah, the donkey. The donkey. All right, there he is, Balaam's donkey. Look, for some reason, whether the emphasis in children's Bibles or Sunday school curriculums or Rembrandt's painting, you know, somehow Balaam's donkey gets like all the press from this story. He's actually a very minor character. She actually is a very minor character, and she's really only in the story to reveal something to us about Balaam and something about God. And look, I know she talks, you know, and it's that's unusual—a talking donkey. Unless you're watching Shrek, it's weird. It's weird, okay? It's miraculous. But if if that's a holdup for you, you know, if you're sitting here this morning and you you you, you know you finally came to church and, you, and you're like. A talking donkey? I can't believe the Bible if there's talking donkeys in it. I just can't do that. Um, I would just like to ask, are there any other limitations you want to put on God right up front? Anything else that he can't do that you need to define for him? Like, I get it. I've, I've never heard an animal talk before. I mean, we got guinea pigs. They say meep. They usually say it twice. There was that one time I watched AFV um, Animal Edition, and there, there actually was a dog that kind of sounded like he was singing a 70s classic rock song. But other than that, I've never really heard an animal talk before. Uh, but here's what I do know. Here's what I do believe, and I see it played out in Scripture, and I've seen it played out in my life. God is able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever He wants however he wants, with whomever he wants, without your permission. That's just part of what it means to be God. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead after three days, he can handle having a donkey ask three questions, I guess. All right, we got the characters, we got a little context, let's get into the story. And the story is all leading us to to, to this uh, focus on these four oracles, these four words that Balaam's going to speak in these chapters here in a little bit. And that's where we're going to draw out some application. Let's get the story first. Remember, there's just one main point that runs through it all. God's blessed people cannot be cursed. We'll pick up at Numbers 22, verse 5. Balak, the king of the Moabites, sends messengers to Balaam, the the pagan prophet, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. There's a lot of them. They cover the face of the earth, and they're dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I'll be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless, Balaam, is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. We can hear an echo of Genesis 12 in our ears, can't we? Balak wants to hire Balaam to come curse the people of God so he can defeat the people of God. But what we know from God is that he, God, is the one for whom it is true that those whom he blesses are blessed and those whom he curses are cursed. This story is loaded with irony. If you're looking for a PhD topic? Might I propose? As we keep reading in verse 7. Okay, they, they go, it's this recruiting visit, they got the fees for divination in hand, they got the money, right? we, we know Balak is seeking to hire Balaam and that divination is involved, okay, he's dealing with dark powers and false gods, they put the proposal on the table, Balaam strangely says, listen, I need to talk to Yahweh about this, um, verse 8, so he goes away that night and this pagan prophet talks to Yahweh he actually talks with him and tells him exactly what's going on and what they want him to do they want him to go curse the Israelites and God responds in verse 12 it's one of the most important verses in these three chapters God said to Balaam you shall not go with them don't go you shall not curse the people why for they are blessed it's pretty clear so Balaam rose in the morning, and he said to the princes of Balak, go, leave, go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak, the king, and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Notice the game of phone tag that happens right here. All right? Um, God told Balaam, don't go, don't curse them. Balaam tells the recruiters, the Lord, he, he won't let me go. He, you know, he won't let me go. It's his, it's his thing. I, I would if I could, but it, you know, he, it's on him. And then they tell Balak, Balaam refused. He's just not coming. There's no mention even back at King Balak about God's people being blessed. So Balak ups the ante. All right, he gets the whole full weight of the local you know, NIL collective behind him and he sends them back again. In verse 16, they say essentially to Balaam, name your price. Verse 18, Balaam says, whoa, man, listen guys. You know, even if Balak gave me his own house, and filled it with gold and silver perhaps wink wink nod nod you know even I can't do anything unless God tells me to but hey here's the thing why don't you guys stay here tonight okay and uh, let's see what more the Lord might say to me now did the Lord need to say more (laughs) he was pretty clear wasn't he God's word to Balaam has been very clear. Listen, some things you don't need to pray about. God's word's clear. But Balaam talks with the Lord again. In fact, we're told in verse 20, that God came to him again. He's the one in control. And God, I believe, knowing that Balaam is in it for the money, God, knowing that Balaam isn't seeking primarily to be obedient, gives Balaam over to his own desire Like This isn't God changing his mind. In fact, we'll ironically be reminded later here in the section that God never changes his mind. No, this is God saying to Balaam, hey, if this is the way you desire to go, go. But only do what I tell you, no more, no less. God is giving Balaam over to his own desire, but he's going to use it for his glory. Balaam wakes up the next morning, saddles up his she-donkey, sets off with the princes of Moab. But notice he doesn't say, hey, guys, here's the deal, all right? I can come with you, but, and it's a big but, um, I can only say what Israel's Lord says to say. And he's actually already made it real clear that Israel's blessed and can't be cursed. He doesn't say that at all. Instead, he sort of provides this guise that all is well, giving the recruiters the impression that he's got everything straightened out that he needed to with Yahweh over there, and now they can get down to business. This, I think, is why verse 22 says that the Lord's anger was kindled against Balaam. Because he went, but it's um, how he went that angered the Lord. It says the Lord's anger was kindled because he went and and he sent the angel of the Lord to take his stand in his way. God had said go this time, but it's how he went. He went acting as if he was a free agent able to control his own destiny and the destiny of others through his blessings and his curses almost acting as if he is God himself. And so we have this little lesson that happens next and it's too good not to read, right? Starting in verse 22, halfway through it. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a, with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot up against the wall. That hurts when that happens. I've had that happen on a horse before, right? So she struck her again. He struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down underneath Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Listen, perhaps nowhere in all the Bible is there more irony present than here. Three times the angel blocked the way. Three times Balaam is blind to see the risk. The seer, the professional seer we see, can't see. But the donkey can. The she donkey can. Three times this donkey tries to avert danger. Three times Balaam strikes the donkey for averting the danger. There's also an escalation in these threes. At first, the donkey sees the angel. The Lord just turns off into the field. In the second incident, there's a wall. The donkey smashes Balaam's leg into it, kind of sneaking by. But then finally, there's nowhere to turn. And the donkey just simply sits down. the The world famous super prophet can't see what the donkey sees. The one who is being hired to turn away the strength of a military threat can't even turn the direction of his donkey. The story is intended to humiliate Balaam in our eyes. It makes him the object of ridicule. It's supposed to humble him in our eyes and help us to see how powerless he truly is. He can't see anything that God doesn't allow him to see. He won't say anything that God won't allow him to say. God is in control here, not Balaam. He's the one running Balaam's mouth. And he shows us his sovereignty by running the donkey's mouth. Open the donkey's eyes. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you? Well, you hit me all these times, right? And Balaam says to the donkey, because you've made a fool of me. Yeah, because you're a fool. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. More irony. I mean, the angel of the Lord stands with the, with the sword in hand to strike Balaam. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. And it's at this point the seer who couldn't see is made to see, but only when the Lord opens his eyes. Verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. and He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his, his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel, Lord, I've sinned. For I did not know that you stood in the road against me. And therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. If? If? If it is, God already told him it was evil. All the way back in verse 12, remember? Don't go with them. Don't curse them. They are my blessed people. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Okay, And so now we've encountered the sovereign hand of God who opens and closes the eyes and mouths of prophets, even pagan prophets like Balaam, as he opened and closed the eyes and the mouth of the donkey. In other words... If God can use a donkey to accomplish his purpose, get ready, because he's about to use Balaam, a renowned pagan prophet, to accomplish his purpose too. In verse 36, after his long journey, Balaam makes it to Moab, and he meets King Balak. Balak says, what took you so long? Man, don't you know I got the money? Like, come on, what are you, what are you doing dallying around? Balaam says, man, if you only knew the trip that I had. That's saw a talking donkey. I don't know if he told him that or not. Right and then, he, verse thirty-eight, he says what he should have told the recruiters back before the donkey incident. Listen up, Balak, I'm here, um, but I can only say what God puts in my mouth, and whatever He puts in my mouth, that's what I'm constrained to say. And that brings us into Balaam's oracles. This is where we're going to draw some applications. So if you're like, holy cow, this is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, but just hang in there because we're going to get there. This is the oracles. There's four of them. They take up the rest of these chapters. Uh, the, the first three each begin in a similar way. The fourth is different. There's even a uniqueness to the third. But three times, in three different places, Balak and Balaam go through the costly ritual of sacrificing seven bulls and seven rams on seven altars. Then Balaam leaves Balak by the altars. He meets with God and speaks with Balak what God puts in his mouth the oracles. And it's through these oracles that we learn why God's blessed people cannot be cursed. First oracle begins in chapter 23, verse 7. This is where you're going to need your scripture. Let me read it to you. Chapter 23, verse 7. From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come. Curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. That's exactly what Balak had summoned Balaam to do. How can I curse whom God has not cursed, though? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold, a people dwelling alone, not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, Let my end be like his. Notice a few things. Look at verse eight again. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? The answer, of course, is that he cannot. Putting it simply, God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God has not cursed them. Or, stated positively, God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God has blessed them. He's blessed them. God has. And then the second half of verse 9 talks of them dwelling alone, not counting itself among the nation. They're different, they're separate. And we know from the story so far that's by God. In other words, God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God has set them apart, He's consecrated them to Himself. And lastly, from this first oracle, did you catch a whiff of anything in in verse 10 when Balaam speaks of the dust of Jacob or the numbering of Israel? It's a whiff of the old promise back to Abraham in Genesis, that God would make Abraham's offspring as the dust of the earth. It's 1316 if you want to go look at it, that they would be uncountable, (laughs) and he's done so. And so we learn that God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God is faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his promise. Now Balak, as you might imagine, he's not a big fan of this oracle. Um, verse 11, he asks, what, what are you doing? Balaam, what are you, I hired you to curse my enemies and now you're blessing them over here. And Balaam only answers, must I not take care to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth. So Balaam says, whoa, whoa, whoa. let says, let's, let's, let's try this again. He takes him to another hill. Let's try it again. Maybe that was a bad one. You know, had some bad pizza. Heard from God wrong. Let's, let's try this again. So they make the offering. Balaam goes away, meets with the Lord, comes back, and this is what he says in the second oracle. Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind, has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold, a people. As a lioness, it rises up, and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Three more uh, reasons here why we see that God's blessed people cannot be cursed. In verses 19 through 20, God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his mind. He's not like man. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. What what he says he does, what he speaks, he fulfills. This is our God. And he has spoken and he is blessed. And nothing can change that. No one can change that. Not even the world famous prophet Balaam himself. And then from the second half of verse 21, God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God himself is with them. He's with them. To curse God's people and bring an enchantment, some magic curse, right, a a spell, would be to cast a magic spell on God because he's with them. No one can do that. No one can cast a magic spell on God and therefore no one can cast a magic spell against God's people because he's with them. And then verse 22, God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God is for them. He's not just with them; he's for them. And again, after that, we hear Balak. <laughs> just stop it! Hey, whoa, dude, you're doing it wrong. Like, stop. What is? Ha- don't curse them. Don't bless them. Don't say. Just, sh- just shut your mouth. Like, don't. Just stop talking. That's what he's like. He's Just like, gotta stop it. And Balak answers again. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I, as the Lord says, I must do. And Balak says. <laughs> get over here, Let's. I don't know, what's it, let's, I got no other option, let's, let's try one more time, I guess, come on, same setup, different hills, seven altars, seven bulls, seven rams, Balaam does not go away to meet the Lord this time, he goes away, he does not go away to look at omens, chapter 24, verse 1 says, instead, he set his face toward the wilderness, and he sees the fullness of Israel, camping tribe by tribe. Prior to this, he only saw a portion of them. Now he sees them all. And this time, we're told even that the Spirit of God came upon him. And what does he say? It's the third oracle. Oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. The oracle of the man whose eye is opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the The vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. So he's been given eyes to see, ears to hear. He sees the vision of the Almighty and he begins to speak of Israel's loveliness. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. This is love language here. And we learn that God's blessed people cannot be cursed because they are beloved. God loves them. Like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the water. They're lovely. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him, like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God is for them. We saw that in the last one. But also, God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God fights for them. He fights for them. Verse nine, he crouched, he lay down like a lion and like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you? It's a, reiter- a reiteration of the original promise from Genesis twelve thirteen, or three, verse three. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. In other words, <clears throat> we saw this already in the first oracle. God's blessed people cannot be cursed because God keeps His promise. He's faithful to His promise. And man, like the irony here is growing thicker than slime, isn't it? I mean, here we have a pagan prophet hired by a pagan king to curse the people of God who ends up being the instrument God uses to tell the pagan king that God's blessed people cannot be cursed. They cannot be cursed because God has blessed them and he set them apart. And God is faithful to his promise and he doesn't change his mind and he's with them and he's for them and he loves them and he fights for them. And all this is true of you too if you're a Christian. Keep a finger here in Numbers 24 and turn over in the New Testament for just a second to Galatians chapter three. It's page 973 in the Pew Bible. In Galatians chapter three, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians and listen to what he says. He says, know then that it is those of faith Faith in Jesus here, who are the sons of Abraham, his offspring. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, this is the message of the gospel, it says. In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's the gospel. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul says this is the gospel. This is good news. That if you have faith in Jesus, you're blessed. Along with Abraham and his offspring, just like God's Old Testament people were. You're blessed just like they were blessed. In other words, when you trust in Jesus and become a Christian, God blesses you. You're one of his blessed people now. The God of the universe blesses you. The God who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, with whomever he wants, decided to bless you. You're set apart. You're called out of darkness, into his marvelous light. You're part of his family, distinct from the world now, brought into his service, consecrated, just like they were. And you're always gonna be And he promises to save you and forgive you and justify you, send his spirit in you, reconcile you, keep you, protect you, sanctify you, preserve you, return for you. And he's faithful to keep his promise. He's not going to change his mind about you. No one can snatch you out of his hand and he will never cast you out, the scriptures teach and even when it feels like the craziest wilderness that you're in, maybe even right now, like you've been wandering around in for like the last 40 years, he's with you. And whatever you're going through right now, he's with you, he's for you, he loves you, he fights for you. You say, how can that be true? I mean, how can that be true? It seems too good to be true. And how can it be true of you if it's not yet true? Through Jesus. And only through Jesus. Not by cleaning up your act and proving to Jesus that you're worth it to Jesus. Not by earning it. No, it's simply by trusting in Jesus. It's not what you do, it's what He's done. Are you still in Galatians? Skip down in Galatians to verse 13. Listen to what Paul says there. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Pause here. Like, you and I, apart from Jesus, are under a curse. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Paul refers to it here as the curse of the law a standard to live up to, a standard of perfection and holiness. Some of you think that's what it means to go to church and be a good Christian, is be perfect and holy and, and, and never have any struggles whatsoever. That's not it. But that's what's required here, it says. The curse of the law, because that's what relationship with the living and holy God requires. But when Christ came, he redeemed us from that. How? By becoming the curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, on that cross, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's you and me. So that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Friends, on the cross, Jesus took on the curse so that you could take on the blessing. Jesus took your curse so that you could get his blessing. He got the curse, you get the blessing. When you trust in him, you come into a whole other realm. You're in his realm now. You're one of his blessed people, and God's blessed people cannot be cursed. And listen, all this was prophesied by God through the pagan prophet Balaam back in Numbers 24. Turn back to Numbers 24 now. After the third oracle, verse 10, Balak again, he he, he doesn't care for what Balaam's laying down. He's just like, You're doing it wrong. Listen, I I called you to curse my enemies. You've done nothing but bless them three times now. Get out of here. You're fired. All right? In fact, you're fired with cause. I'm not paying you anything. Just leave. Go. Balaam repeats, I can't go beyond the word of the Lord. What the Lord says, I say. And listen, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to leave. But I got one more for you. Don't you love that? Balaam's like, I'm going to do a little mic drop on you, bro. Like this is going to be. Look at verse 14. And now behold, I'm going to my people. Come, I'll let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and he said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High and sees the vision of the Almighty fallen down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. He's talking about the future. A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemy, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Listen to this language. There's a temporal fulfillment fulfillment probably that came through King David, but listen to the the further, the fullest fulfillment that you can. A star, a scepter, crushing the forehead of the enemies, exercising dominion. Who does this sound like, church? Jesus, you got it right. It's Jesus. Jesus. Matthew takes up the star language in Matthew 2 right after Jesus is born. And the wise men come and say, where is he? Where's the one who's been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we came to worship him. And Jesus says in Revelation 22, I am the star. I'm the star. Back in Numbers, it's God saying, my blessed people can't be beat, won't be beat, Because I'm going to send my son. And through him, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He will crush the forehead of his enemy, crush the head of the ancient serpent from back in Genesis 3 at the cross. And be raised three days later, vindicated by God, who bestowed upon him all authority in heaven and on earth to exercise dominion over everything and everyone, everywhere. The fourth oracle is God saying through Balaam, my blessed people cannot, will not, ever be cursed because I, the Lord, will send my son to save them. Did you know there's only one more thing? That the risen and ascended Jesus says in the entire Bible in Revelation 22, after saying in Revelation 22 that I am the star, do you know what it is? I'm coming. It's the last thing he says. Second to last thing, I'm the star. I'm coming. God's blessed people, as God's blessed people, we cannot be cursed. Because Jesus is going to return. And when he does, the dead in Christ are going to be raised first, and then those of us who are believers and still alive are going to be caught up in the air together with them, and then we will always be with the Lord, always be in his perfect perfection, always be in his perfect presence, always be in his perfect peace, and always in his care. We will eternally, entirely be perfectly blessed. But friends, what will be true then is actually already true of you now. If you are in Christ, you are blessed and cannot be cursed. It's certain. It's sure. Doesn't mean trials and challenges and temptations and suffering and dealing with death and all that junk isn't going to come your way. It all will come your way. But none of that is going to jeopardize this. It means behind the scenes, away even from what you can see, even while you're in the midst of the wilderness, God is at work. God is on your side. He is leading you. He's like Adam said, he's leading our family to the promised land of heaven. And he's also at work, not just leading you, but protecting you, preserving you, being faithful to his promises to you, never changing his mind about you. He's with you and for you. Who could be against you? He loves you, fights for you. Why? Because you're a part of his blessed people now. And the blessing you possess from being united with Christ cannot, will not ever be removed. Church, you cannot be cursed. Let's pray. Father, would you encourage us now with this truth? Would you impress it upon our souls and into the cracks and crevices and nuances of our being? Would you apply it like balm? all our fears, all our weaknesses, all our wounds and traumas. Would you bandage us up, Lord, with your loving truth here. Heal and restore
0: and send us out to tell others about it. In
1: Jesus' name,
0: amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.